0: Gentlemen, Merry Christmas to you. Well, we got this Thursday morning and one more, and we're finishing up this whole idea of proverbial wisdom. We actually finished our study of Proverbs, per se, uh, today, and I hope that uh, you feel like you've gotten an overview of it. It's kind of hard to pull it all together. We took those first nine chapters in order because they were more uh, doctrinal about the idea of wisdom. and Then we took, uh, we've been taking chapters 10 through 31 thematically trying to survey Proverbs, and of course we haven't touched on every proverb, but I think we've hit on the major themes. And We come to the last one uh, in Proverbs 31, last chapter. You want to turn to page 1030 on your Reformation Study Bible, the Spirit of the Reformation Study Bible, and you'll find there, beginning with verse 10, this topic of a wife of noble character. And you think, what in the world will we be studying wives of noble character for in an amen Bible study? We don't have any qualified candidates here. Well, uh, I mean in this room. Now, come on. I'm not talking about your wife. I'm talking about you. <laughs> and uh, yet uh, we have all kinds of reasons to study this because we're to be men who are encouraging women to be like this. And if you're selecting a wife, you're supposed to know what you're looking for. And this will help you a lot. Uh, you know, we. Uh, I, I saw a book in the, in the bookstore not too many years ago, and I was very interested in the title. It said what? Men have come to know about women. So I pulled this thing out, and I opened it up, and every page was blank. <laughs> and, so, and all of us know the sort of struggles that we have between the genders, and sometimes in our own marriages. There's a story of a woman uh, who was at the funeral of her husband. She was just widowed, and a man came up to her and said, Martha, could you tell me what were his last words? And she said, yeah, he said, Honey, you can't hurt me with that shotgun. You couldn't hit the bar outside of a barn. Yeah. So uh, I know we've got a lot of work to do. Uh, and we're going to see in this text and in other texts how important it is that we sort of change our ways as typical men. Uh, women love to be told that they're loved. And that's a huge, huge uh, contribution that we're supposed to be making, uh, first of all, to our wives and daughters and others in our family. But uh in a, an appropriate way, even to uh, women in the church and community, and uh, we don't do that very well, there was a woman betsy she was she was uh, sitting down talking with her husband one day, and she said, "Honey, do you love me with your whole heart?"' And he said, "Uh-huh <laughs> she said uh, "Do you think that I'm ravishingly beautiful?" He said, "Uh-huh <laughs> she said am I the most wonderful woman in all your life? Uh Uh-huh. She said, honey, you say the dearest things to me. Uh, And that's about as far as most men can go. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So we're going to talk about how you can get beyond the uh uh-huh and really uh, build life into the women that are around you. How many here uh, have daughters who are still living under the roof, still at home? How many of you have daughters? Wow. Okay, lots of you. How many of you have granddaughters? lots more of you. Okay. Uh, that's enough justification for us to talk about this topic, uh, because I can't tell you how many times I'm talking with women in pastoral counseling, and I sure wish I could have a talk to her daddy, uh, because so often women's lives are are devastated because their fathers didn't pour the kind of love into them that, that is needed. Well, let's, let's uh, look at Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, and we won't go through it exactly in order, but we'll be making pretty regular reference to it, so let's go ahead and read it. Verse 10, a wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned. And let her works bring her praise at the city gates. Amen. Some of us are saying, give me a woman like that. Somebody teach that in Sunday school to our women. Well, yeah, your wives are going to say, yeah, take him to Ephesians 5 and tell him to die for his wife. And the sooner the better. Uh, Sometimes we're guilty of reading each other's mail. And uh, it's better that we stick to our own mail most of the time. But here we are in Proverbs, and so we we got this text. And it actually has a lot to do with us. This woman that's being described as a, known by scholars as a valiant woman. That is, she's in the elite. She's obviously unusual. I mean, getting up in the middle of the night, taking care of everything. When you come home from work, beautifully dressed, says, Oh, honey, don't do anything right at the house. Go out and sit at the city gate. Go down the bar and talk to the guys and just be one of the respected brethren out there. some kind of woman and this is indeed an elite woman and she is a very special woman indeed and we are men who should first of all know how to appreciate women and we are ones who are supposed to be helping to develop them into noble character our task with everybody around us is to help them to know Christ and to grow more into his image and to make him known including the women that are around us let's look at what this has to do with men first of all we want to realize that a wise man is one who blesses wise women a wise man is one who blesses wise women i would tend to suggest that the reason you may not see more women who are like proverbs 31 is you don't have uh, the men we need like ephesians chapter 5 to encourage them to be the kind of women they're meant to be First of all, notice that a wise man respects wise women. Proverbs 1116 a says, A kind-hearted woman or a gracious woman gains respect. She gains honor, kavod, it is in Hebrew in that text. Why, and you'll see in the second half of that verse that, the, that she gains respect while a group of violent men only gain money. So one woman can outdo a whole bunch of violent men. She gains respect, they only can get money stealing from other people. So we are to show respect for women. Now, this is vital for a number of reasons, but let me let me go to the highest reason of all, and that has to do with our view of God. So often with our gender differences, the farthest we get with mutual understanding is simply learning to laugh it off and to make jokes about the other gender. You know, if... Uh, if you think that we make jokes about the women, let me tell you something. Just listen in every once in a while. they got a lot of good jokes about us. Uh, <clears throat> and that's usually considered success, when you just have a good sense of humor about the differences. But I'd like to suggest there's another step, and that is to really get in and to honor and admire the differences, and here's why. In Genesis chapter 1, we are told that God made man in his own image, Male and female, he made them. Which is to say that God put his image on male and female, not just on male. Therefore, if when you look at human beings, you by analogy are seeing something about God. And you are not seeing the full analogy until you see men and women. That is the reason that for those of us who are married in particular, the more deeply you can understand the female psyche, the way life is built for them, the way they approach life. You're going to be learning something about God that you wouldn't get just by going to a men's Bible study. So we actually need women in this life so that we know the fullness of God's image on the earth. Uh, If any of you were at the um, Civil Rights Museum uh, Freedom Awards uh, last month, or maybe it was a month before, I don't remember, Uh, and if you heard B.B. King get up and give his little address, I just thought it was fabulous. He said, what would this life be without women? And then he looked down at the woman who was sitting next to him at his table, and he said, honey, would you marry me? <laughs> he said, he in In life, aren't women just beautiful? Aren't they wonderful? And you know, B.B. went on and on. Of course, he has his own reasons, I'm sure, for, uh, for saying all those things, but uh, women are beautiful. But the key reason for our respecting them is that we learn about God through them as we really understand and respect them and appreciate them for who they are so when you're feeling really awkward because you can't perform in a way that's relating successfully to women just realize well that's sanctification on your part that needs to take place so that you can enter into the fullness of the image of God on the earth the power of respect for them is absolutely enormous and we'll get into that more a little bit later Secondly, if we bless wise women, we are trusting them. She says, or or the the proverbial writer says in 31.11a, her husband has full confidence in her. Does your wife have uh, have your full confidence? Do the women in your workplace receive confidence and trust from you just like the men do? Do you show up preference? Because I understand men. I'm sure I understand women. Are you developing confidence in women? That's a blessing to them when they know that they have your confidence and trust. Thirdly, the wise man appreciates wise women. Look at all of the things here that the wise woman, this valiant woman, this noble character woman is doing. She is working with her hands, she's feeding the poor, she's clothing everybody, she has a great sense of humor, she looks to the future with hope, she speaks words of wisdom, she's watching over the household, my stars. Uh, She is to be appreciated. There was a man in his hospital bed and he said to his wife, he said, you know, honey, you've, you've been there for every difficult moment in my life. Here I am in this, you know, as a result of this automobile accident, and here you are. He said, when I lost my shirt financially, you were there. When I lost my job, you were there. Honey, I'm beginning to think you're bad luck. Uh, It's amazing. It's amazing how men are just really good at blaming other people for almost everything in their lives. You know someone said everybody needs a wife because there's so many bad things in life you just can't blame the government on everything. Uh, so some men can take the blessing that's being given to them, stare right at her, and blame her. It's unbelievable. Just coming out of our own insecurities and our own need for justification, our own guilt complexes. But the wise man really appreciates his wife. And she appreciates her for the things that reflect Christ in their home. And in the church, we appreciate the women for how they reflect Christ in the church. And we appreciate them by telling them what we see in their lives. Those of you who are in positions of leadership, every once in a while, you just need to draft a letter and send it to the the women that are in your circle and let them know how much they're appreciated for, for what they do and for who they are. Now, if you'll look at this list that, that we've sort of summarized there, the thirty-first uh, chapter, you'll see some an interesting thing. You'll see the things in a godly woman that are appreciated by the by the writer. And if you put yourself back in uh, the tenth century of, uh, B.C. or perhaps a little later. Uh, you would realize there there are other things that were written about women too that are common to their culture, just like there are many things written about women on our bookshelves. Well, they had their own bookshelves, their own parchment shelves. And the woman was praised by the Near Eastern peoples, but primarily as uh, an object of erotic uh, desire and one who is physically beautiful. And so they were praised highly for their beauty in the Near East. You'll notice in this text, isn't it interesting, that the proverbial writer says in verse 30, "...charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised." Isn't it interesting? Taking that whole idea of the woman as an object of male lust and just canceling it and saying, that's not what the noble woman actually is. I mean, charm is real, beauty is real, but it's fleeting, it's passing. But these things that endure or their relationship with the Lord. Likewise, uh, in the classical world, this would be about a millennium later, uh, Greco-Roman world, you have pions of praise for women. And generally speaking, the classical woman was praised for her rationality. (laughs) She was the elite, the one who could think clearly. Wouldn't you love to have one like that, huh? Well, the classical world really bragged on their rational, educated, clear-thinking women. Who could think abstractly? Who was who were basically thinking like men? Uh, and you'll notice this is not what this text praises. This text is praising a godliness that meets, that gets down on the road, that where the rubber meets the road, that gets down in the home life, and is making a difference in other people's lives. It's very practical. As a matter of fact, the one who's being praised here is a wise woman. It's the things we've been studying about men and the way that we want to apply the wisdom of God in life. That's exactly what this woman is doing. And notice, this is what we're to appreciate. This is what we're to be calling out of the women around us. It is a woman of wisdom. And we have the power to call out of women all kinds of things. And we're calling them out even now in the culture and in the church. And sometimes we're calling out the wrong things. We'll get to that in a moment. But here you have that a wise man knows how to appreciate the right things in the women and calls them out by appreciating them verbally and otherwise. And then fourthly, notice that a wise man honors wise women. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. He praises her. And he gives her the reward she has earned. She has earned our praise, our appreciation, our trust, and our respect. You know, it's uh, difficult for some of us to take um, advice from our wives. Not some of us, all of us. It's uh, I don't know why that is. It's just the male ego. It's the male pride. We don't want uh, our wives to think that we actually need them. And it's ridiculous. You know, we know how, how much we need our wives if we're married. And uh, yet we, we go to all these machinations to, to try to avoid being advised by them. Uh, and they do give great advice. I remember... Don Patterson, who uh, is a previous pastor, senior minister at First Presbyterian Church, Jackson, Mississippi, said that after he had preached a sermon one Sunday morning, a sermon about which he felt particularly uh, uh, proud. He thought he had done a fabulous job. And he was in the car with his uh, wife, Jean, alone on the way home. And he said to her, honey, how many really great preachers do you think there are in this country? She turned to him and said, One less than you think. Ah. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. There's a woman who knew what she was talking about. That's hard to listen to, but you need to listen to it. Some of you have gotten similar messages, like those of us who are preachers, you know. My wife has a little signal in the pew. I just don't look at her. I just don't look at her. <laughs> it's like the man who came down and he, he cut himself shaving, and uh, the preacher, and, and he cut himself shaving and his wife said to him, honey, what did you do? And he said, well, I was thinking about my sermon and I cut myself shaving. And she said, you need to think about your shaving and cut your sermon. Uh, <laughs> folks, don't despise people like that in your life. Give them respect and trust and appreciation and honor, because a wise man blesses wise women." Now secondly, as we've seen in the Proverbs, and we just want to summarize this for a few moments, a wise man avoids pitfalls with unwise women. We give blessing to wise women, we avoid the pitfalls with unwise women. First of all, he chooses carefully. I don't know how many single men we've got in the the room. But let me say, if you're single, you're a candidate. And let me just say, if you're going to get involved in marriage, you better choose carefully. I think the Bible teaches such. Notice, first of all, how you choose. Uh, And let me say, the primary thing is prayer. And you'll find in the Proverbs that a, a wise man prays. He knows that you can't protect yourself. You can't even do the best thing for yourself. A good wife comes from the Lord, the Proverbs say. So if it comes from the Lord, if she comes from the Lord, then why don't you ask him for it? And so just begin praying, Lord, if I'm to be married, you bring me the woman of your choosing. And I would say overall, a good word for choosing someone is compatibility. You need to be compatible on several different fronts. You need to be physically compatible, attracted to each other. You need to be socially compatible. How do you test that out? Well, you ought to hang around her family and friends. See if you like what you see before you even date her. And uh, then she ought to hang around your family and friends and see if she fits in with your social crowd. There ought to be social compatibility. Recreational compatibility. Do you like to do anything together uh, recreationally? There ought to be financial compatibility. Do you have common aspirations and common methods of handling money and so on? There ought to be psychological compatibility. What What are your dysfunctions and what are hers and can you live with them? Can she handle you? There ought to be a character there, a moral compatibility. Do you have the same view about what's right and wrong, what's good and evil? And uh, there ought to be intellectual compatibility. Do you find her interesting? Do you like to discuss things with her? Do you want to answer her questions? Does she ask good questions? When you ask questions, do you get interesting answers? Is there a challenge to the mind there? Is there going to be a knitting and a respect, a mutual respect for each other's minds? But the most important thing is spiritual compatibility. Is the woman soundly converted? Is she on her way to Christian growth? Does she have her eyes set on the Lord Jesus Christ? Is she theologically compatible with you? Is she maturing in her faith? And so on. So this spiritual compatibility is very, very... It's it's the, the heart of all compatibilities. Well, you see, this is how the writer begins... In verse 10, a wife of noble character, a woman who is valiant, a woman who is excellent. Yeshet chayil in Hebrew. She is a valiant woman, a woman of noble character. What does that look like? Well, she's one who fears the Lord. You can see it clearly. Secondly, you're looking for noble character. You're looking for a woman with discretion. Look at this proverb. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Once again, the writer is taking on the idea in the Middle East of the time that you're just looking for someone who's beautiful. And this writer says, hang on just a minute. That beauty can actually be something repulsive because the woman has no discernment. And in the Middle East, you know the women, if you go there now with the Bedouin women, they'll often have in their right nostrils these gold rings. Which show their wealth and it also enhances their beauty. And uh, the, it, it was the same in, in, in the writer's day. And he was basically saying it's like putting a ring on a pig when they show no discernment. It's a beautiful ring, but it's walling around in the mud. And so often, men, the, their testosterone is just at maybe unusually high levels, and they just look at a woman and they want to go to bed with her and they think, oh, she'll make a nice wife. Look for discretion and discernment, judgment, ability to make decisions. Thirdly, a woman who's content. Look for contentment. Contentment without you. Because during years of your marriage, she will be without you, not just physically, but she'll actually have worse than not having you. She'll have you. And if she can't be content without you, she will be malcontent with you. I promise you that at various times. And look what the writers say, I mean, over and over again. He says twice, Solomon says it twice, better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Better to live in a desert than a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with a hand. repeated watch out don't get a quarrelsome wife if a woman says to you would you please tell me if i'm quarrelsome and i want a straight answer and i want it now then you probably have the wrong person so you're looking for someone who has contentment because she's a woman who fears the lord That is the only thing that ultimately brings contentment because the Lord is the only one who is Lord over all of life and transcends every circumstance and is the ultimate reward for every one of his children. And when someone has that and understands it, they'll have contentment regardless of the circumstances. So if you want a non-quarrelsome wife, you better find one out uh, who, fourthly, has godliness. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I find that when guys get turned on by a woman, and I'm not talking just to you who are single, but some of us have single sons, uh, single friends. We do a lot of coaching. And when you find someone just being taken away with certain uh, fleeting attributes of another person, you know they're they're getting ready to get in trouble. So that relationship has to go much, much deeper. And the way that you explore those things is by not committing yourself romantically so heavily at the front end and people just dive into things and they make statements about another person and they seek to to build a romantic relationship so quickly they don't have time to observe these other things while their options are still open. So as you coach people, just take your time, get to know people so that you can observe these traits which make for a, a woman of noble character in your marriage. So the first thing is in avoiding pitfalls for those of us who are, uh, who are single or are helping those who are single, to help them choose very carefully. Secondly, once you've chosen, love faithfully. He loves faithfully. The Proverbs say in chapter 5, you remember this from our earlier studies, drink water from your own cistern. That is, go to your own wife. And, the, and later on in that same chapter, Solomon says to his sons, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Not the wife of of that you took on after you abandoned your, the wife of your youth. Now I'm talking about the wife of your youth, he says, the one with whom you're a covenant partner. And yeah, she's got more wrinkles now. She's beat up a little bit now. She's, you know, uh, not as sexy in some ways as maybe she was when she was 25. But... He says, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. May you ever be captivated by her love. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. And Solomon could certainly speak about that from personal experience, although Solomon didn't write that. It's almost as though it's describing his older years when he was ruined by spending his strength on pagan women. Unbelievable. But the wise man is one who loves faithfully he is committed to his wife how do you do this well uh let me mention a couple of books they're not they're not new ones they're, they're older ones around about 20 years plus plus. one is called the blessing by Gary Smalley maybe some of you have seen that but in this he describes how we can be a blessing to the women in our lives and let me let me tell you what he he says the blessing consists of and the blessing is is what you see here. It's a, it's a wise man blessing a wise woman. How do you do that? Smalley says that, and looking at it biblically and also experientially through the years, he says he finds that when we're blessing the women in our lives, first of all, it involves meaningful touch. Meaningful touch, not uh, meaningful touch. You know, Tender. And that would be with our wives and our daughters. And sometimes I find that men, for some reason, maybe we're intimacy challenged or whatever. Maybe we never learned how to, how to hug or how to touch people. We're disinclined to do that with our daughters, or with our wives. Gentlemen, you just need to keep working on that. It's one of the first, it's one of the first components of a blessing. You'll find in the scriptures when people were blessed, they had hands laid on them. When we send out missionaries or ordained pastors. We lay hands on them, when we ordain deacons and elders. We lay hands on them, we touch them, and it's a way of blessing. So learn to touch in an appropriate way. And uh, you need to be careful about hugging women that are not in your family. Uh, some of them don't like that, uh, and you need to guard their boundaries. But with someone that you know well, a good sideways hug uh, can be an appropriate way of sending blessing. But certainly with your daughters, learn to to hug them and touch them and communicate affection for them that way. Secondly, uh, Smalley says, it involves a spoken message. Spoken. That is, use your mouth, words, vocabulary. Uh Uh-huh. No, no. Words craft something. If, If you're not really good at speech, try writing it out. Go into the bathroom, look in the mirror, practice a little bit, then go out and try to say something to your wife. You can start with half sentences. You can start with a word if you need to. A participial phrase would do fine. You can build to a full sentence. And I tell you what, after you do that for a few weeks, you'll actually get to a paragraph. It'll happen. Now, look, I I know we're laughing, but some of you really are struggling with this. You have a hard time communicating verbal affection and verbal appreciation for other people. I'm telling you, if you'll learn to do this with your wife, or with your daughters, or with your mother, uh, you will begin to find new avenues of influence taking place in your workplace. Once you start loving your family and blessing them in the right way, you'll find that you can bless others that are around you in an appropriate way. So a spoken message, something about them that you've noticed uh, about four years ago, there were several of us who decided to give our graduating daughters from high school a little trip as their graduation present. So we took them off to the Middle East. We went to Egypt and saw the pyramids and the Grand Bazaar and other things around there. Then we went across the Sinai and hiked Mount Sinai together at 2 o'clock in the morning and to see the sunrise. And then we took them across to Jordan and went to... Uh, several places there. And and uh, in Jordan, before we crossed over into Israel, we were on Mount Nebo. And Mount Nebo, you know, is where Moses looked over the promised land. He knew he wasn't going because he had disobeyed the Lord, so he was not going to go. But he could see the promised land. And he had all the children of Israel around him. And you remember what he did. He blessed each one of the tribes. You'll find it in Deuteronomy. He made a pronouncement over each one of them, 12 tribes of Israel, to bless them. And we should be good at that, too, in whatever role of leadership you have. And so um, we were giving each father and daughter a one place where they could give a devotion. And uh, Larry Jensen had assigned to him Mount Nebo, he and, he and Grace, his daughter. So what they decided to do was to have all the fathers bless their daughters. And uh, they're on Mount Nebo in this ancient church. So we were sitting in the stone chancel, semicircular with stone steps where the choir would sit. We were all there and down in the middle, one father at a time. And some of us had a hard time getting through it. Uh, And most of us read our blessings to our daughters. i tell you what, folks, that was one powerful meeting. Well, let me tell you what else happened. It just so happened that our wonderful missionary in Jordan, a single woman who's been in Jordan now, working with Bedouins for 50 years, uh, was able to join us. Her name is Aileen Coleman. Aileen was there, and she was watching all this, sobbing like a baby. We had asked her to give a devotion to the girls to talk to them what it means to be a godly woman, which was one of the best speeches I've ever heard in my life. And at the end of that, she said to the girls, all these 18-year-old girls, she said, Girls, do you realize how special this moment has been? That your fathers have pronounced a blessing upon you. She said, I grew up in Australia, and our customs were a little stiffer, perhaps. And my father, I don't recall my father ever telling me that he loved me or that he was proud of me. And she said with tears, I just received everything that was happening today from me too. And with that, Larry Jensen came down out of the chancel, and he said, Aileen, we're going to bless you. And we all, all the men stood over Aileen and blessed her. I'm telling you. You can't imagine what that means to the formative heart of a little girl, 18 years old, and what it means to a woman who's 70 years old and, still, and been serving the Lord faithfully as one of our champions on the international field. And in the middle of her heart was willing to confess this feeling of, of deprivation, of having been blessed Use the power that God has given you to bless other people. And the ones that are closer to you, you have more power with than anyone else. And no one can bless your wife like you can. No one can bless your mother and your daughter like you can. So bless them with verbal statements, a spoken message. Thirdly, uh, Smalley says, assign high value. A blessing consists of telling them how valuable they are assign high value. I haven't written these things up here in the PowerPoint, I'm sorry about this. So you're you're touching them appropriately, you're giving a spoken message, you're assigning high value to them. There, There is a woman of noble character. Maybe you couldn't honestly say every one of these verses about your wife. Well, pick the ones you can. And you can just say, I saw a verse today that reminded me of you. This is the kind of person you are. Assign high value to them. Fourthly, Smalley says, Picture a special future for them. And I would say really the younger, the more important this is. You know, uh, I know my daughters fairly well. And I can look at them and I've, I've been, and most of you are, have been around long enough too, to be able to see the development of people through life. <coughs> and you can see certain things in their lives that are going to lead to blessing in the future. And you know what? You assume that they know that. Well, think back when you were eighteen. Did you know that? Of course not. You didn't know whether you're going to make it or not. You didn't know if you were a fool or an idiot or a wise person. You didn't know whether you're a success or a failure. And for someone to tell you, I see, you know, as a man, I see success in you. I see leadership in you. I see something very powerful in you. For a fifty-year-old man to tell you that, that would have knocked your socks off. Women are the same way. They don't know. Tell them what you see in them. That leads to a picture in the future, and then fifthly, uh, Smalley says, "Make an active commitment to the fulfillment of that dream." Uh, for example, with my daughter, my older one, who has ministry gifts, it's very obvious she has ministry gifts. She, she's doing her graduate work now, and she's doing very well. And you know, it's, it's easy for me to, to see in her gifts that will lead to future. Blessing in a lot of people's lives because of who God has made her to be and the gifts that she has and the training she's receiving. She's going to be a lot of good to a lot of people. And then, Smalley is saying, Now add to that your personal commitment to help that future come true, which is to say, Honey, anything I can do for you ever, anytime in the development of your life, you let me know I'm here. So, you commit yourself to this beautiful future that you see in their life from the positive things you're calling out. Now, why is this so important? Because the women around us, gentlemen, are getting all kinds of signals from a male-dominated world, especially in the advertising world, that certain things about them are very important. The shape of their bodies is very important. If you want to know, the strongest message they're getting is that the shape of their body determines who they are. It's unbelievable. You and I don't look at advertisements this way. Believe me, they do, and they're getting an overload of messages with every sleek little model that is about ready to die from, from anorexia or something, you know, just this waif of a person who's advertising this or advertising that, and the message is that if you want to be beautiful and if you want to catch the eye of men, that's the way you have to look. They're getting messages that you have to satisfy men's sexual needs apart from marriage in order to have a chance to get married. They're getting that message all the time. Did you see the statistic, I believe it was in USA Today, yesterday or day before, that, you know, with these, the phones, of course, where you can take pictures and text the pictures all around, 36% of women in this country, by the time of 20 years of age, have sent their, a picture of their body naked to a guy somewhere. 36%. That's outrageous. It's a result of the messages that we are sending, and we've teased this out of them. So we have the power to call out of women all kinds of things and it shapes their behavior. Nobody has the power like you do within your own family to call out of them the traits of a noble woman. Beauty is real. Charm is real. But they're fleeting. The woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Is that message coming clearly from you to the females in your life? That's the role of a man to look at that text and say, okay, I commit myself to that future for the women in my life. and I'm going to knock off some of the other emphases uh, that maybe I've been tempted to uh, to speak to the women in my life. So you see here, he loves faithfully by blessing the women in his life. He's aware of her needs which are different from his needs. The woman basically needs affection. She needs conversation with you. She needs openness from you. Transparency, honesty about your feelings. She needs the commitment from you that you're doing the best you can. Most women are not grabbing for money. Maybe some of you are married to women who have that temptation. I'm sure some of you are in a room this size. Most women are not like that. Most women are like this. They want to know their husbands are doing the best they can. That's what they want to know. And when you're doing the best you can in their opinion, they respect you and appreciate you, and they are usually content with that when you're doing the best you can financially. So you need to show them you're doing the best you can. They are also looking for commitment to the family and to the relationships within the family. So think about this. This is contrary to us who want to be esteemed. We want to have sexual fulfillment. We want a recreational partner. All these things we want in our wives. We must learn to look at it from their perspective and to love them for it and to learn and grow as a result of these good things that they bring to the relationship. So we love faithfully. We commit ourselves to that woman alone. We keep ourselves from sex with someone other than our wives. If we're single, we're loving our future wife faithfully by keeping ourselves only for her. Now lastly, a wise man develops wise women. Now this doesn't come so much from the Proverbs text. Now I'm jumping around all over the Bible. I just want to close with our commitment to develop the kind of women that really honor God how do we produce the proverbs 31 woman we must be the ephesians 5 man now we appreciate women because of many things and i haven't put this in your handouts but i put up here on the powerpoint we appreciate them because they are beautiful they're relational they are verbal They are holistic. They see all of life together. They don't just categorize. They connect all the dots. They're soft. They're strong. They're alluring. They're smart. They're clever. They're artistic. They're merciful. They're protective. All these things. We look at this and say, oh, that's a wonderful list. I love women. Yeah, man. But these traits can become like this. Beautiful can turn into superficial. Relational can turn into irrational. I'm sure you've never experienced that. Verbal can turn into wordy. I'm sure you've never experienced that. Holistic can turn into impractical, expecting everything to be perfect before anything can be done. Soft turns into to weak sometimes. Strong can be demanding. Alluring can become seductive. Smart can become arrogant. Clever can become manipulative. Artistic can become materialistic. Merciful can turn into sentimental. And protective can turn into controlling. Every good trait has a darker side because we're sinners. And so how are we going to cultivate women so that their strengths remain strengths rather than weaknesses? Well, I suggest to you, first of all, this, that we must cultivate the women in our family and in our church. Cultivate them. You'll see in Joel 2:28 that both our sons and our daughters shall prophesy. They shall know the truth. The truth shall set them free. They shall speak the truth. They need to learn the scriptures. We need to encourage them to do so. Gentlemen, the most important thing you can do with your wives and daughters is take up the Bible and lead them in worship every night. Lead them in prayer. Cultivate them spiritually. The word husband means to take care of a garden. The word pastor means to take care of a flock. It's really the same thing. You're the pastor of your home. Are you cultivating the people? Uh, Are you teaching and listening and counseling and helping? And you'll find in Luke 8 that Jesus was surrounded by women. In Acts 18, Apollos, the great preacher, was taught by Priscilla and Aquila. The word of God more, more clearly. In Romans 16, you'll find that Paul had all kinds of very strong women in the Roman church that were doing serious pastoral work. So women are to be included in our work, they're to be empowered, they're to be cultivated, they're to be encouraged. Show your allegiance, your affection, and your affirmation uh, for these women. Let me say in one key principle to keep in mind when you're cultivating uh, the women in your life. Is that if you think about the male self esteem, uh, we generally feel good about ourselves if we're being successful in whatever occupation that we have. In other words, we generally are feeling pretty good about ourselves if the returns look good each quarter. You know, we're bringing home the bacon, Uh, we have respect in the community, Uh, we're being promoted among our peers, Uh, people are talking well of us on the outside. And I'm not justifying our basis for self-esteem. I'm just saying, that descriptively, that's the way it actually works. And I have to remind women of this sometimes that it's not as though they don't. It's not as though they love their work more than you. It's just that their self-esteem is tied up in their work in ways that it's not for you. And so they need to learn to understand. But this is. I'm not talking to women. I'm talking to men. Uh, so that's a no-brainer as far as we're concerned. But we have to ask ourselves the question: If you want to. Bless women. If you want to cultivate them, you have to ask yourselves the question, how do they develop their self-esteem? What makes them feel good about themselves? Well, let me tell you something about women. Their self-esteem is largely developed in the context of their key relationships. So their self-esteem, the self-esteem of your wife, now you inherited the self-esteem that her parents largely cultivated in her for 20 plus years then you get her, and you know, in my case, after 37 years, well, you know, you get what you pay for. I mean, you know, you get what you put in. Does my wife have self-esteem or not? Well, you know, her parents had something to do with that, but shoot, we've been living together for 37 years, so what have I put into her life? And that's going to affect her. It's it's her view of the health of our relationship. Here's what they say. A woman uh, doesn't, her self-esteem is not based on what she thinks about herself. It's not based on what you think about her. It's based on what she thinks you think about her. This is complicated. But you can see how important the relationship to your wife is for the development of her own self-esteem, and that's the reason it's devastating when you don't open the door for her, when you don't take her coat, you don't go get her a drink, you don't show her courtesy and kindness, and that you're protecting her, and that she's under your wing, and that she's important to you when you walk into a cocktail party and you just let her go off with the girls with her coat go get her own drink and you go off with the guys and talk about football you may as well have stood on a chair and announced to everybody in the room hey my wife is basically average all the women noticed it they all noticed it you thought they were in conversation well they were in conversation but they have about five ports for input and you were one of them And while they were talking and chatting, they noticed over here, you came in the door, and they noticed that you were basically indifferent toward your wife. So she comes over to them, introduced as a person who's an average person. That's how she gets her introduction to her whole crowd of girlfriends. However, you come in the door, you take her coat, you ask her if you can get her a drink, you go get her a drink, and then you say, honey, what would you like to do? You want to go with me? You want me to go with you? She said, oh, no, you go with the boys. I'll go over here and talk with the girls. Fine, you give her a little cheek right on the forehead. All these women, and they've all noticed. Good heavens! Did you see that man? And she comes over, and she's introduced to them like a queen, and they can't wait to ask her in some appropriate way, somewhere in the conversation, "Tell me about you and your husband." Why? Because they all, they you know, that's that's their thing as relationships, and they noticed you all have a great one, and they notice that you just passed on value to your wife, and you just introduced her as a queen, and not as a peasant. And you and I don't think about those things because it really doesn't matter to us. We walk over to the guys. They've, we've already got our pecking order based on how much money you make or what kind of car you drive or what job you have or how much esteem you have in the community. We all know those things. That's the way that most men value. You just have to take what you get. And the way our wives treat us may matter that much, but, but not that much. It's just the opposite with a wife. Entering into her mind into her heart will help you become a better man. We need that part of human relationship to be whole. And the women in our midst help us do that. Are you going to cultivate that in the women or not? Are you going to cultivate godliness? In them? if you are, you're going to get at the root of how their self-esteem is developed. Now, obviously, all of us must have our self-esteem ultimately shaped by our relationship with the Lord so that we're not determined by our jobs or how much money we make or what kind of cars we drive. And they're not determined by how nice their husband treats them. But I'm simply saying if you love someone, you want to contribute in ways that are meaningful to them and that's why it's so meaningful. We cultivate the women in our family, and in our church. We treat our daughters with respect. If you want the boyfriends when they're 20 years old to treat them with respect, you start right now and you show them how men are supposed to be treating them. That we honor them for who they are at the heart of their being, their love for the Lord, their intelligence their abilities that He's given them, their usefulness to other people as they serve them. And we train our daughters, this is what's valuable about you. And so they expect someone who's pursuing them to see the same things, not just the curves on their body, but to see these values in them. And if the guy comes to her and doesn't see those things and only sees her breasts, well, she had nothing to do with him because she's learned to see herself an entirely different way. And this man obviously, obviously doesn't understand her and doesn't know anything about men. Her daddy taught her how to understand women. Are you teaching them? Secondly, we serve the women in our church. And we put ourselves at their feet. In Acts chapter 6, you see this clearly. There were the Greek women and Hebraic women. They happened to be in a squabble. The men didn't say, oh, these women. They are just arguing all the time. No, they created an office called deacons. To take care of them. That's how important it was. And you'll find the same thing in 1 Timothy 5 with the the care for the widows. We take care of our widows. Are you taking care of the widows in your church? Are you taking care of the women in your church? Do you listen to their needs carefully instead of snickering about them? Thirdly and lastly, we must give justice to the women in our community. The wise man does this. And so often I find in Bible-believing circles that men are offended by the feminism that comes at them like a wave, secular feminism, and therefore then we just react. And we react negatively to women's concerns. Gentlemen, that is a jujitsu trick of the devil. To use something to get you to harden yourself against the cause of justice for women in the workplace, And in the community and in your church. Be sure that no one, if you're a leader in your church, be sure that no one is advocating more strongly for the women's cause than you are. Be sure that you're advocating at least as strongly as they are. Why should they have to take up their own cause? We should take up their cause, and you should take up their cause in the workplace. And and I would just ask each of us today to ask ourselves, are we really being fair? with all the women around us in the workplace, fair in every way, and let ourselves be challenged by everything that we hear uh, in the legal community, in the political community, and those who are not Christians. Listen to them carefully. There are a lot of good things being said, and we need to be sure that we're implementing it and that we're taking the lead role, because a wise man blesses, encourages, promotes wise women. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for the gift of the women in our lives, in this community, so many wonderful women in our churches and in our families. And we pray that you will help us to leave this place as men who have been transformed even this morning by your word, seeing how important it is for us to acknowledge and to understand, to appreciate, and to promote the good things that you're doing uh, among the women in our lives. And so, Lord, we leave here with gratitude and with a sense of mission to do just what you've sent us to do, to serve those around us. We pray in the name of the one who served us himself, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.